Good evening. As you can see, it's a fuzzy night. I owe you a couple of bells and apparently this camera is not very clear tonight. Let's see if we can do anything about it. But while I do that, welcome tonight. And I'm sure that many of us feel the same way when we get to be here and do Zazen that at some point we might think, ah, wonderful. Finally, I get to retreat from this world that has so many difficult things in it. Oh, the day is finally over and now I get to do meditation. We also have a two day anniversary retreat coming up which is also one of those places we look forward to so we can do something else than being assaulted by news, having to attend to the needs of the needy. May they be in our family. May they be invisible. May it be attending to some abstract concept of making things better. So we yearn for this time. We do yearn for this time. And it is very important in our practice that we have that kind of gravitational pull to this kind of practice. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to engage in. And we all know it's also quite different than what is being practiced nowadays in corporate America and all around headspace and mindfulness. This is quite different. People will not believe that when you sit down in Zazen that it's not tuning out and disappearing into bliss. No, it is not. This is a practice that is quite, quite different. So for the topic for tonight, I thought, what could I talk about? What is it that we seek sometimes in this practice? What is it that we look for? And the term of refuge came to mind. So tonight I would like to speak a little bit about refuge. We all know that in the process of becoming a certified Buddhist, we take refuge to the three jewels or the three treasures. It is quite possible that in the beginning when we take refuge, we see refuge as such a place to go to, to shelter. And really ultimately there is nothing wrong with that. Because before we have the ability to be strong to live in this world with all that comes at us. It is possible that we need some kind of safe place in which we can open up, in which we can go to open up, in which we can enter to be unencumbered, to be not judged. That is really important. So refuge from that point of view in the beginning might be 
some safe space that has its limits that we set in order to allow ourselves to grow and to come to the strength that is needed to come to the realization, not only, but the actualization of what refuge actually means. Refuge also brings to mind the term of wildlife refuge. Sometimes we have to set space aside in this world to allow species to have a place to be safe and not be wiped off this face of the earth. When it comes to our spiritual practice though, ultimately we have to understand that we cannot use anything in this practice to give refuge to this fixated self, this fixated idea of a self, or even the fixated idea of salvation. So how do we take refuge in the Buddhist context? Buddham Saranam Rachami Bhamam Saranam Rachami Sangam Saranam we can connect to an experience, an activity like this for many, many different levels of engagement. Intellectually, we could say, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. When we chanted, and we engage in it and we lose ourselves completely beyond any idea of what this means or what is intended to mean. And we are just completely present. Then we have taken true refuge. So, we might ask ourselves, okay, still there are some words here. There are some concepts here that I'd like to understand. There is Buddha, there's Dharma, and there's Sangha. And fortunately, in this vast array of Buddhist traditions, we can find so many different ways to talk about the three treasures. If we go back to the way of the elders, Buddha very concretely stands for the Tathagata, for Buddha Shakyamuni himself. Buddha Shakyamuni who is the founder of the tradition of Buddhism. And then there's Dharma. Dharma from the viewpoint of the elders is the corpus, the opus, the teachings of the Buddha 
that were codified by his disciples and successors. That is Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha as transmitted. And then there's Sangha. And again, in one of the earliest interpretations, Sangha is a group of the disciples of Buddha who took refuge to him, to his teaching. That was the Sangha. Over time, of course, with the appearance of Mahayana Buddhism and the appearance of Zen, Chan Buddhism in China, things started to change. And there are many, many different ways of looking at Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So one of the ways that I have learned or that I was questioned about by my ordination teacher to say something about it brought me to an expression that goes into the direction that I will tell you now. Buddha. Where is Buddha? What is Buddha? A question we encounter a lot in koans. Buddha. Oneness. Nonness. Not to. The state or the event where there is no differentiation where all and nothing exists and doesn't exist simultaneously. Dharma, the law, the law like the law of nature, the activity, the activity of Dharma that we can experience as human beings, as the activity of time, as the activity of change, as the activity of impermanence. And what happens? What happens this Dharma activity when it makes relationship with that Buddha? It breaks apart. Suddenly the 10,000 things come into existence. Everything, the state, the event of separation occurs. And suddenly we have a phenomenal world. All these phenomena and the consciousness that functions according to that activity of Dharma, which brings it from oneness from Buddha through its activity to the Dharma, through the Dharma to the Sangha, where we have everything that exists. And of course, it's not a linear kind of activity. It brings everything back together to Buddha and over, over again. So that already is a very different interpretation or way to look at Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So in our Zazen practice, when we disappear, when body and mind drop, Buddha is manifest. But the activity of Dharma that imbues everything and every moment 
And that is always there. Of course, doesn't let this come to a standstill, to a fixation. Buddha breaks apart, activity of Dharma. Back is the world. Sangha is manifest. That's when we come out of Zazen, when we start to recognize this phenomenal world. And our teacher might ask us, Matt might ask us the question, how do you recognize this world? As what do you recognize this world? What is it that this journey through Dharma activity from Buddha to Sangha and from Sangha to Buddha teaches you? What is it? important difference here between a strictly canonical interpretation of the three treasures and the way that we look at it is that this is limitless. There is no limit to it. It's not Buddha. It is not Dharma. It is not Sangha, but it's all of it always together. And the aspects might be named differently. A lot of Buddhism is about naming things, but often uh, we forget that the naming came from somebody who had had that experience, who had figured out who had gone through this journey over and over again and finally was able to express it in some kind of words that can be very helpful. On the other hand, we have to know and keep in mind these words are descriptive. They are not prescriptive. And even the Buddha says it, you know, there is no formula to do this. Please listen to my words, but don't take them as a formula. So when you listen to a talk like this, also don't give too much into thinking about it. Just see what resonates. Open yourselves up like an instrument that is open to the vibrations, that is open to the various tones, to the notes that come through this expression of one human being who is the source of these consonances, dissonances, sounds, and just see what happens. This is not a lecture. This is not anything where I ask you to grab for the words or for the concepts that are being talked about but with your heart and with your hara, with your whole body as a resonator to this universe and to the expression of the activity of the universe. Please just let yourself freely resonate and swing. Coming back to Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. 
there are other terms, there are other labels that are attached in the same way. The three bodies of the Buddha, for example, the Dharmakaya, the Sambhogakaya, and the Nirmanakaya. In certain traditions, it is very clearly defined in very precise terms what in that particular cosmology these bodies of the Buddha mean. What about Zen? Hmm? Do you think that the founder of the Rinzai school would have ever talked about this at all with his disciples? About the three bodies of the Buddha? Of course he did. Of course he did. Here is what Master Rinzai says. The pure light of your mind at this moment. This is Dharmakaya Buddha within your own house. The non-discrimination light of your mind at this moment. This is Sambhogakaya Buddha within your own house. The undifferentiated light of your mind at this moment. This is Nirmanakaya Buddha within your own house. This threefold body is you listening to my teaching right now when you don't seek it by running around outside, you embody these functions. This is Master Rinzai in the Rinzai Roku. Pure light of mind, non-discriminating, light of mind, undifferentiated light of mind. Again, these words only are filled with life and meaning if we go and investigate that with our full dedication. When we take refuge to the process of dropping ourselves into the activity of Dharmakaya Buddha, of Sambhogakaya Buddha, of Nirmanakaya Buddha. And what does it mean when Master Linzai here speaks about not running around outside seeking? Haven't we come to this place to sit and to look at the inside of all of this so that the outside world doesn't disturb us? Maybe in the beginning, as I said when I started this talk, maybe in the beginning it is okay to have such a refuge that allows us to rest enough to gather the strength to face the fact that there is no place to hide, that there is no place of refuge 
besides just where we are. The threefold body and the various interpretations of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha are going into the same direction as the existence of time that comes into existence out of no time, where suddenly past, future, and present come into existence. And in the same way that the activity of Dharma stands between the Buddha and the Sangha, so stands the activity of consciousness and the awareness of time between past and future. And when we take refuge into just being this, at this very moment, be it as it may, no past, no present, no future. Refuge. Not lasting, as we know. Not lasting. But transformational. Transformational in the way that we know and we get to understand when Master Rinzai says, outside, what does he mean? The concept of Dharmakaya. The concept of the Buddha. The concept of Sambhogakaya, a concept of what the law and the doctrine of Buddhism is, a concept of Sangha, what does it mean? What is the phenomenal world? A concept of Nirmanakaya. If we only understand it from the point of view of our two-dimensional mind, and we speak about outside and inside, we have the same dichotomy as we have in past, present, and future. We are that separating sword that says this is inside, this is outside. And by doing that, we limit the limitlessness of this process that we investigate here. So when Rinzai says, there, don't look outside. That already means there is no outside. Everything is in and everything is out at the same time. Now, what can we take from this? And what is important, especially during times where we feel that way, that we want to take some kind of refuge from the assault of what happens to be our lives, of what happens to be the difficulties, the perceived difficulties we live with. Suddenly, when we realize they're not separate from us, that this is our lives, then there is no question that we cannot escape, that we cannot not face what is right before our eyes, what is right before our hearts. 
So let's take refuge into the investigation of this process, into being able to say, I don't know. Let me go and look again. Into not holding things outside, into not compartmentalizing. The moment when we think our practice is a refuge from that what irks us in the outside world, we have put up the biggest barrier for that practice to be of help to us. It is so interesting in these Dharma conversations I have with individuals in Doksan, a lot of practitioners come in and they tell us, I want to talk about my practice, my practice. And so one of the first things that we have to learn and that we have to investigate is, well, it's not your practice. It is not your practice. It is not just your actions. What we do fully without leaving anything out is the activity of the world, is what changes the world, is not just of local impact. It is an impact that is truly cosmic. And I understand it is a tremendous responsibility that each of us bears as being responsible for the actions that shape this universe, that shape this society, and currently that shape this practice. Responsible. No place to hide no refuge in the sense of being able to cover up, leave out, or look away. The eye of the Bodhisattva sees spherically 360 degrees in all dimensions and in our zazen and in our manifestation as human beings in whatever we may do when we are not sitting here as practitioners is taking responsibility for shaping, for making this universe what it is. Sounds very heavy, but it is also the most joyful practice the most authentic way of meeting everything, nothing, of being truly intimate with life. I am really glad to have all of you on this path together so that we can step up to that responsibility and act 
from the heart.